0: I got the horses in the is
1: There may not be a lot of sporting events on air, folks, but we're still coming your way on Wild Sports Talk, another live edition. Coming your way your folks, on this Monday night, July the twelfth. 2021 and kicking off a brand new week of MI6 coverage right here tonight on the MI6 Sports Network folks as usual joined the night by Isaiah Leung from a local elementary school in Fremont California and our good man Sammy Sharp yours truly calendar joining you folks here from the home studios here in San Diego California Mr. Sharp good to see you as always my man how are we doing the night I'm doing
0: good man you know nice nice uh evening tonight how have you been Calen?
1: Been doing fantastic, my man. I thank you for asking as usual. Of course, Isaiah LeYoung, we had the very awesome but lengthy two hour plus hour night shift going to Monday morning uh, on Sunday. But of course, Isaiah, glad to have you aboard, man. How are we doing tonight and good to see you?
2: I'm doing good, Callen. Uh, You know, I had a pretty good day. Um, you know, got my McDonald's coffee like I usually do, one of the best coffees in all of in all of America, and then um, you know, watch a bit of the home run derby because I wanted to catch my guy Matt Olson in the home run derby, uh, ho- trying to beat Mar- uh, not Mark Mancini but Trey Mancini um, in the home run derby. And I wanted to get you know, uh, the A's were offering some discount for fans for tickets. Uh, how many home runs tr- Matt Olson hit? Uh, th- we would get like that amount of money taken off our ticket prices. So uh, he hit 23, which I'm not going to complain because a $23 off discount is freaking amazing. So uh, thank you, Matt Olson, for making tickets much cheaper in Oakland.
1: And of course, folks, we are here again, covering all of the wild and crazy sports news stories and our takes of the day. But again, there is not a lot of games to talk about today. Again, as baseballs on the All-Star break, the NBA Finals are on hold till Wednesday. I misspoke on Sunday. They're off until Wednesday to, again, accommodate the baseball All-Star game on Tuesday. And, of course, the NHL is now in off-season mode. Major League Soccer also uh, taking the day off as well. But, of course, folks, if you're joining us live again, we will take your input, your questions, your comments, your concerns live on air throughout the duration of our program. So, again, fire away, folks, in the live chat box, and we'll do our absolute best. Read your commentary Live on the air, as in fact, our program rolls on here today. With that, Sam and Isaiah, of course, the baseball all-stars have conjugated and gathered at Coors Field tonight in Denver, Colorado, home of the Rockies, for the 91st uh, ever Major League Baseball All-Stream. Of course, guys, Uh, the first ASG held, of course, post-2020, of course, as there was no game played in 2020. And Sam, I read an opinion piece today uh, in USA Today online uh, that came from a writer who said that that despite baseball's lingering issues, again, with Trevor Bauer off the field and, you know, a lot of injuries happening. I read a stat today in that, uh, in that piece, bud, that said that, you know, uh, oblique strains and certain injuries have gone up 160% since last season in that very short season. And that baseball, as we know, those same, has not been able to get out of their own way because of issues that have gone on. Over the course of the past you know, several years, though, maybe I think more so during Commissioner Rob Manfred's tenure, again, with domestic violence and personal conduct, uh, pace of play, TV contracts. You know, maybe some uh, some organizations like the A's or even the Diamondbacks or the Rays having issues with either ballpark uh, issues or stuff like that. Uh, Sam, probably in your mind, though, man, how important do you believe though that it is for baseball? You know, with, with all these dark clouds hanging over, you know, the baseball front office. How important is it to kind of have this, you know, th- this center stage event again return after again missing last year because of COVID, but also in a way to kind of I think deflect the attention away from what has gone on in baseball over the past, you know, not just this year, but I think though uh, recent seasons in your mind. What do you think?
0: I think it's always great uh, for baseball as far as that to shine uh, light away from the, the dark side and onto the bright side. I love the sports that have done it, and you know, baseball is doing it. And especially at the Home Run Derby, I feel like it's one of the more successful uh, weekend-type fields at all-star events of all sports. Because, you know, the NBA has their dunk contest that has hit or miss. And, you know, NFL has tried their skill competitions in the past. But the Home Run Derby is something that's that's uh, stuck and is, you know, it's going to stand the test of time. And the All-Star game coming around now, especially with all the -the off-the-field stuff uh, with Trevor Bauer, Uh, I think it's a good timing for, and a good time to look away from that stuff as for right now.
1: Isaiah, I think Sam's right though, that, you know, and, and I for one have gotten to, gotten a chance to at least go to the home run Derby five years ago when the uh, ASG was here in San Diego. But not just that though, Isaiah, is that this is something I told a lot of my friends who couldn't go to the all-star festivities here in 2016 for four days out of the baseball calendar your hometown becomes the baseball capital of the world because of the fan fest going on downtown, the home run derby, the red carpet show, the game itself and stuff like that. And probably I think Isaiah, obviously, you know, I've been to the world series in 1998 with my parents when I was very, very young at age four, when we of course lost to the Yankees in San Diego in game in game three and game four. And that the 2016 all-star game was probably like the best time I've had experiencing baseball at the major league level in, in, in probably my life, because again, of, of how all the national media is in town, you know, they always, you know, they talk about, you know, the weather and being close to the beach and how, you know, it was, I think the most attended, I think, and not most of them, but I, I do think though that I can recall that 2016 because of the Padres going with the Brown and yellow from their, from the seventies and eighties was the highest merchandised selling all-star game in recent history And that it kind of in a way like deflects the attention away from what's going on with the commissioner's office and the lockout talks and, you know, domestic violence issues. But certainly, Isaiah, I think especially now with again getting, you know, with us getting beyond, you know, this COVID uh, pandemic, where, as they said, though about 85 percent of all tier one and tier two and tier two staffs have been fully vaxxed and that that, that they made some strides, though, and certainly that it's been you know, very welcoming to see people go to Colorado. I've not been to Coors Field, but I've been outside of it, though, in the middle of a snowstorm, but that it's it's great to, again, see all the players, you know, uh, you know, like Otani and Tatis Jr. And, you know, all these guys though, from all these teams, you know, conjugate and be able to go back finally and be able to share that spotlight and, you know, talk to guys you probably won't talk to because you won't play certain organizations. Certainly Isaiah, especially, I think, though, in, in a year like this, though, where, again, baseball – just can't find a way to get out of this giant hole. It's dug itself over the past several years again with pace of play and rule changes and, you know, other issues that has plagued the sport. Uh, how important do you think, Isaiah, it is to, to see, you know, baseball back on this stage though with the All-Stars all gathering in Denver for the next couple of days?
2: I think it's very important because, like you said, um, baseball is facing an uncertain offseason. This might honestly be the last season of baseball that we have for the foreseeable future because we don't know what's going to happen in the winter with the collective bargaining agreement talks. So it's very important. It's very important for, you know, baseball to take to just take a break from all of that stuff that's going to be happening in the next several weeks. And months to come, and just put the focus on the players, um, like in the next couple of days. So I think that it's this All Star game, this All Star weekend or All Star week, I should say, is very, very important for the game of baseball. It also helps, you know, fans that probably don't know some of these players from other teams, like you know the A's, the Diamondbacks, you know, Sammy, your Pirates, some of these teams that aren't really big market teams with all. With every team getting one representative in the all-star game, it really helps uh, that these small market teams and these players from the small market teams get their brand up and also get, you know, get recognized by the national media and also the national uh, fan base in all of baseball.
1: Uh, you know, and we'll get into that, folks, in just a moment here. We have a, I have a couple of base of uh, All Star Weekend questions to pose to Sharp, uh, to Mister Sharp and Mister Leung. But first, our good man Matt Soltis is writing in saying baseball has become a joke, fellas. Please get rid of Rob Manfred, and and, and certainly for sure, you know, uh, guys. I was watching the, the first round of the draft yesterday after I'd gotten back from the Padres Rockies game, and I certainly agreed though that every time he came out. I mean, I think you know, booze for one thing, guys. But I think that that those booze though were I think more of like, I'd say pent up frustration by baseball fans because of the handling of the Astros issues, Uh, Arobas Chapman, Julio Urias, Trevor Bauer having their you know off the field you know domestic violence issues and stuff like that. Uh, You know, pace of play and the rule changes. You know, there's there's been a lot of you know back and forth, back and forth. So I certainly agree with Menard. He also says, "Hey guys, you want to know who's not in the All Star game? Sean." murphy isaiah over to you sir first of all he
2: was robbed because look at all these guys hitting like 520 550 foot shots i guarantee you at coors field sean murphy probably would have hit a 600 foot shot at coors field but that's a different story for a different day uh but let me just say this about the home run derby because i think we're not really going to get that much in depth into it but
1: They got to get rid of foul poles for the home run derby. I'm just going to stop you right there. Uh, Sam, I'm going to go to you, though, because I do have a question, though. I've been thinking about this though, because I know that a lot of people, you know, would rather see baseball do what the NBA does or the NHL does with a skills competition. I really don't know how baseball could integrate in a skills competition. I mean, if you want guys to, you know, run first to third, you have, you know, outfielders make throws from right field to home plate, you know, hit a target, knock over a trash can, you know. Uh, throw out a runner from there. The home run derby is one thing. You know, maybe you can have pitchers come out and do a bunting competition, you know, stuff like, you know, I, I've heard a, a lot about this for the past several years, though. I don't know, though, if baseball can really do a skills contest because, you know, we're already halfway through the season. I get that. But that, you know, that that this is probably by far the most rigorous professional sport out there next to Major League Soccer because of the daily grind that it is to play a sport like baseball and being on your feet for so long. And again, I don't want to make this an excuse here, but Sam, I certainly think though, that the home run Derby, though, I of course enjoy seeing the home run Derby every year though. But I do think though, that the, the format changes have been probably a very great thing for the, for, for the Derby. Cause I feel like though, that if we still have the out format, as I told Isaiah in the group chat, the out format, I think, though, too many complaints from players, and it just dragged on too long because you have a guy literally hit, you know, 15 straight homers and be at zero outs or one out, and he still has nine more, cha- you know, you, you know and he has to get out nine more times for the rounds over. I like the idea, though. I know, of course, that, you know, baseball is not played with the clock, though, but I do like the time format because it's gonna keep it kind of keeps the derby going and kind of keeps the guys a little bit fresh. Yeah, they probably get tired after hitting 35 or 40 homers in one round, though, but I also do think, though, that the one rule I've liked, though, as well, Sam, has been that ever since we had the whole Robinson Cano screw job of Billy Butler and Casey in 2012, I believe where he didn't name Butler to the uh, AL team when it was AL versus NL. And it was like, you know, four versus four and that Butler didn't uh, partake in it, that they changed the rule saying, Hey, whoever's hosting has to have a player represented in the home run derby. And I've liked that very much. You know, we saw, you know, we've seen Trevor story. Who's probably going to be dealt from the Rockies in a couple of weeks partake in what may be his last big event in uh, at Coors Field. Uh, same with Will Myers here in San Diego in 2016. Todd Frazier uh, with the Reds in 2015. Uh, Bryce Harper before he went to Philadelphia with the Nationals in 2017, 2018. So, Sam, what do you like and what don't you like about the Home Run Derby in regards to how, in fact, the format and the rules are for the event?
0: I like it a lot, actually, uh, and how they do update it, like you said, to keep it uh, more fast-paced. And, you know, especially whenever you can – it's like when it's home, – the Home Run Derby, it has a such a basic concept that you cannot go wrong. That I think the only way you could go wrong is to take out the Home Run part of the Home Run Derby because the dunk contest is a – you know, it, 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 I, that's probably the closest second when it comes to these skill competitions, uh, these all-star events. The dunk contest is probably number two. And the thing is that about the dunk contest is that it can get repetitive and it can go old fast. The thing is, seeing someone launch a baseball 400 feet into the air almost never gets old. That's why it's lasted this long. So, you know, I don't think there's really any way they could mess up unless they take out the home run part of uh, the home run derby.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that, you know, the dunk contest, I kind of think, though, I've heard a lot of people call it the slam dunk contest because of either – you know, the terrible judges or, you know, terrible judging, I should say, not the judges themselves, but the, you know, the judging of certain dunks, you know, guys can only jump over cars and mascots and fellow players so often or bounce it off the backboard and things like that. Though I mean, you don't have Vince Carter walking through the door to do his dunks from 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 Oakland, you know, back in the early 2000s, or, you know, you don't, you don't have Blake Griffin jumping over a Kia, you know, walking through the door anytime soon. But with the Home Run Derby, though, I agree, though, Sam, that especially with the recent changes though, that have been made, though, to accommodate uh, being able to uh, do stuff like that. Uh, Isaiah, we're kind of more so in just talking about uh, general thoughts about how, in fact, the Home Run Derby has been, though, because I, I, like I told the group earlier in the evening, is the, the out format just took too much time in my mind, especially when you think about, you know, like Griffey Jr., Maguire. I mean, these guys could hit, you know, 30 straight homers and have no outs, you know, for you know, they're up there batting for an hour, and you know, and I think though, I know that baseball's not played with a clock, like I said earlier, earlier on in the segment, Isaiah, but that I like the time format because you kind of keep the guys fresh, and yeah, they probably do get fatigued though. But that you know, they have a chance to call timeout, stuff like that, get a sip of water, you know, and and uh, you know, wipe the brow a little bit though. But I like the time format because it kind of makes things go a wee bit quicker though. But I think that, like I said though, that the one rule I thoroughly, thoroughly like though is that much like how every team has to be represented at the actual game, I like, though, that one player from the host city has to be in the Derby ever since Robinson Cano did not select Billy Butler for the game in 2012 in Kansas City. Missouri, of course, was an uproar by the Royal fan base, but certainly, Isaiah, what do you like and what don't you like about the Home Run Derby and their role changes at this rate?
2: Um. Well... I I am not a fan of the new format, to be honest with you, because you guys all know I'm kind of an old school type of guy. I like the old format, you know, I was so used to it with guys hitting like 50 home runs at one point. I think your one assessment Cespedes hit like 45 when he won the Derby, and you could just see like you were just in awe of all the home runs that he hit. Like I know like, you know, it would take so long and stuff like that, but i I for one enjoyed that format. I don't know like about everybody else, but I, for one, enjoyed that type of format, so mm-hmm. I didn't like the fact that they changed um, that type of rule uh, with the time format and stuff like that, but most importantly, though, I don't like how they changed it with like the matchups. I thought that they, what they should have done is they should have, you know, you could put the time in. I think that would be good. Everybody gets like four or five minutes to hit a bunch of dingers, but I think what you should do, it's like the The three point contest, how it was before, you know, Adam Silver and those guys changed it where everybody gets to, you know, gets four or five minutes to hit a bunch of threes. And then, you know, whoever has like the three highest scores would move on to the final round. That's why I liked the uh, the original format much better is because I just really like I'm not a fan of like the matchups in general.
1: I mean, I, I get the point, though, but I, I certainly think, though, that as much as Commissioner Manfred wants to move games along, though, I, for one, am not opposed to the to the, to the format of it being timed uh, because, as mentioned, you know, I, I think, though, that as much as the Derby wants to become a spectacle, you know, I don't think, though, that these players nowadays want to be sitting, you know, want to you know, be up there for so long and waiting for 10 outs or five outs. So I like the time frame, but also Isaiah, how about your thoughts though about uh, the other rule change of that? Uh, the host city must have one player partake in the Derby ever since 2012.
2: I love that rule a lot because, you know, imagine if you're the whole city and you don't have anybody in the home run derby representing you, uh, then why are you even there? You know, why? Why are you even like in the stands? You know, like, obviously, uh, you're a fan of baseball and, you know, you want to watch some good baseball, but it it adds like a punch to have someone from your team in the home run derby that you can Rock on, and you can cheer for it, instead of just you know being there and just cheering or just watching people hit home runs. So, I really do love that. Um, I think it makes it more fun and more enjoyable for the whole city that is in charge of hosting
1: this event. And uh, certainly with Trevor's story, uh, Colorado product with the Rockies, had a 518 foot homer tonight at his home ballpark. But he like I said, they'll probably one of the last major events he'll be a part of, as he is probably on the move eventually from Denver. Uh, back to the comment box first. Again, our good man, Matt Soltis, he says, Isaiah, don't you dare say Trevor's story to the Oakland A's. Matt, don't worry. He's already said that they don't deserve to get Trevor's story. Uh, the network writes, and how about the pitchers doing a home run derby? Absolutely not. Uh, I see them doing a bunting contest, not a home run derby, because you know someone's going to blow out an oblique, and there's going to be one ball club who's going to be very upset about that. And Matt says uh, that DeGrom would win that. Otani is uh, classified as a player in that book and also Matt is asking am I missing something but why is everyone wearing 44 for today they are doing it to honor Hank Aaron for his passing uh, today so all the players are wearing 44 for both leagues today uh, in honor of the late great Hammer and Hank Aaron uh, who Sally folks we lost earlier uh, in the year with that though Sam and Isaiah to probably one that I think may cause a firestorm amongst us two or us three on the panel and our question tonight folks for you folks to chew on Sam to you first should baseball continue to have all 30 of their clubs represented at the All-Star Game each and every July? Sam, we'll let you start. What do you got for us?
0: Uh, No, I'm I'm a fan of the best players uh, performing in the stage. And, you know, if you're going to cut out, you know, a top-tier player, if it comes to, you know, a Houston Astros player or a Pittsburgh Pirates player or another top-tier player, and you're cutting that top-tier player off, to give that Pirate player the one uh, Pirate representation. I don't think that's fair for the one player. They are punishing him for being on a good team, basically. And especially how the rules used to be with the home team getting, uh, the winning league getting home field advantage. I just didn't think that was right, in my opinion.
1: All right, Isaiah, so what do you think here? Should baseball continue to allow or have all 30 of their clubs represented every July at the All-Star Game? Yes, no, or why?
2: You know, I got to disagree with Sammy. I think I think they should because especially now with it being an exhibition and you don't have um, the All-Star Game really meaning anything, you know, there's no, like, if you win the All-Star Game, you get a home field advantage throughout the entire World Series th- there's really no meaning now with the all-star game it's pretty much like a spring training game or just like an exhibition in general so with it being an exhibition and with it being like a spectacle i think right now yes they should because you're basically with the all-star game or the all-star festivities you're celebrating the game of baseball and you want to see you know uh, whether it's one player from the pirates or one player from the Seattle Mariners or one player from, you know, the D backs or the A's or whomever that are there from the small market teams. it helps those players that might be playing either in a small market team or on a bad club It helps them get their name out and get uh, recognized by the fans and it helps them or it helps them uh, or helps the fans get to know them a bit better.
1: Yeah, I'm still on board with this. I, I get the fact that, you know, teams like Houston or the Dodgers will send four, five, six guys, though. But I think, though, that the reason why I say that you have to have that, you, that this will as to stay, though, guys, 17 players are not in Denver right now because either they opted not to play in the game, much like all the Astro players did, or guys just want to break like Jacob deGrom wants a break, literally. So I think that's where you can have teams like Arizona, like, you know, like the Mariners, like. The Pirates, you know, get a guy or two guys to the All Star game. And, and I know that, you know, well, it's watered down and stuff, you know. I think, though, that if that this is a showcase of the best players in the league, that includes all the teams who are 40 games out of first place, 25 games out of first place, that are going to be losing 100 games this season, that this is a showcase. Of the best players in the sport of baseball, and just some of these guys, like a Cedric Mullins, for example, playing in Baltimore, he's on a terrible ball club, but he's going to be going to the All Star game to represent, you know, being great for the season. So, I mean, I, I get the arguments, though, for sure, though, about you know, this is all about, you know, that you know, you know, the uh, the best players on 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 certain teams. So, but again, if we're showcasing the entire league, though, all thirty clubs, you need to have everyone out there, regardless of you know if they're if they've won fifty plus games or they've lost fifty plus games at this stage of the season. And also, uh, Matt uh, Soltis writes in again, I do believe that there is at least one player from each team that deserves to be in it. Oakland does not, though, in his mind. But again, folks, give us your thoughts, though. Should baseball continue to allow all 30 teams to be represented at the All-Star Game each year? Let us know. Isaiah, back over to you. What do you got? Let me say this um, before I respond to Matthew's comment. I think Buster Oney made a
2: very, very good point. It, it was either Buster Oni or Tim Kirch, I forgot who it was. But they made a good point on Twitter when they said that um, if you're like the Astros players that are opting out or whomever that are opting out, if you don't want to be in the All-Star game – Please tell us like a month or two in advance that you don't plan on either playing in the All-Star game or you want to opt out so that, you know, we can like put other people that are more deserving or that are well deserving of being in the All-Star game in it instead of, you know, wasting spots on people that are, you know, they are deserving of being in the All-Star game, obviously, but they don't want to go to the All-Star game. I just don't think that that seems
1: fair. Also, Isaiah, I wanted to read this quote that um, I uh, heard earlier today on ESPN from Jeff Passan. Having Fernando Tatis Jr. in Denver is such a huge thing, and it's important for the sport of baseball. Where, Isaiah, does that say having Sean Murphy or Alec Bohm at the All-Star game is important to the game of baseball? Tatis Jr. is the look at the future. Deal with it, sir. <laughs> You really had to bring that up, didn't you, Cal? You really had to bring that up. But I
2: also wanted to, you know, respond to Matt.
1: uh, No, I need to hear your response to that quote from Jeff Passan of ESPN first. Let's go. I mean, he
2: deserves it because he is one of the best players in all of baseball, and he's one of the big names in all of baseball. But the point I was making about Sean Murphy and Alec Bohm was the fact that give me two, three years, give me two, three years, and you will see my projection come true. Because I'm not looking towards now. I'm looking towards two, three years down the line. And you can't really judge Murphy or Bohm right now because they are technically in the rookie year because I don't count, you know, that 60-game season as an actual Uh, rookie year for these guys or an actual year for all of these baseball players.
1: Well, they gave out rookie of the year awards last year. So technically it quantifies. So uh, just, you know, stop being petty. Uh, It is what it is. So with that, folks, though, some uh, more history being made, though, up in Denver over the course of the week, though, as Angels pitcher and DH Shohei Otani is starting as the AL pitcher, but also batting leadoff for Kevin Cash in the AL squad as the DH on Tuesday night, uh, Isaiah, you know, this guy's been nothing short of spectacular, you know, and I know that it's not really panned out so far or did not pan out for him early in his career, though, again, he had, you know, some arm trouble uh trying to get acquainted, though, to playing in the States, not playing in Japan, though, and on that five day regiment, though, I know they're, they're trying to keep him on that, you know, six day, seven day cycle of him pitching. Uh, he's batted, you know, batted for himself as a pitcher, like something that's never done in the American league because of the DH rule being an effect though. But Joe Madden's batted him second and he's pitched, he's done it like he's a, like he's basically playing in the national league though. And certainly, you know, this year though, I think, I mean, this could be a year though, where maybe he's able to win both awards. I doubt he will though, but uh, Isaiah, give us your thoughts more so about uh, this very historic day though, or at least historic announcement though of Otani Batting leadoff, pitching, and DHing for the AL side of things in Tuesday's All Star game in Denver.
2: Well, I I love it. You know, I really love it because Shohei Otani, I think might be the face of Major League Baseball right now. I mean, Callan, I'm sorry about you know the Fernan- about Fernando Tatis. I'm not stop changing your mind on this, sir. But Shohei Otani, this guy is unbelievable. This guy can pitch. He throws like 96 to 100 on his fastball. And then he like he could go out there after he's done pitching and hit a home run into the upper deck. I mean, there's really nothing that this guy can't do out there on the baseball field. It's just unbelievable the stuff that he's doing this season for the Los Angeles Angels. And Callan, I mean, he might be better than Babe Ruth, honestly. I'm gonna go out and say this because I know Babe Ruth was great, but Otani's doing some unbelievable, out of this world type of stuff. Would never like dream of or think of from anybody in the game of Major League Baseball.
1: Uh, Sam, what do you make about this? You know, because I think that Otani has just been, you know, historic. You know, ever since he came over from Japan, and he's been, you know, you know something that we don't see a lot in the pros. You know, we see a lot of two-way guys in college. In high school, little league, travel ball—you name it. You know, I was a two-way guy myself, having you know, you know, pitched a little bit, you know, DH, EH, you name it, stuff like that. And again, uh, we've seen him bat lead off, bat second, and pitch in the American League, and not be the DH. He's been able to pitch and hit for himself in the American League. Yeah, I know it's been, you know, it's weird seeing this happen because it doesn't happen uh, every day in the American League, band of baseball. But Sam, uh, overall thoughts about Otani again. Uh, with another historical feather to add to his cap for this upcoming season and for tomorrow's uh, festivities in Denver.
0: I think it's amazing because, you know, I, if you would have said to me two years ago, if you would have said to me go, going into this year that uh, one of the starting pitchers will be leading off as a DH in an all-star game uh, in baseball, I would look at you like you're crazy because that, that's something that just never happens But to see it now and and come to light, it's crazy. I think it's crazy. And it's something that uh, needs to be, I think, appreciated more uh, because we may never see this type of uh, dominance again on both sides of the baseball.
1: We folks are privileged to welcome on board our good man, Matt Soltis, joining us to grill Isaiah Leung. I am going to sit back, relax, and enjoy this. Matt, have at it, buddy.
3: Sean Murphy's trash. No way. You can't even – I can't even believe that you said that he's going to be better than Joe Maurer. Three to four years? No. The guy is, what, 24 already? Like, spent years in college? That, that I No. And to say that last season was not a season, I mean, I think the A's still lost in the first round last
2: season, right? Well, no, we got out of the wild card round for
1: the first time and went to the divisional. You still round. lost there in the DMS, no buddy. That's considered round. round one, sir. There
3: was no wild card round. And there okay, was. Here's, here's the thing, though: Shohei Otani and uh, the A's have something in common. They choke under pressure. You had three swings. I don't know. Some of those bombs, though, Isaiah, you know what? who he's going to end up with? He's going to end up with the L.A. Dodgers. Some NL team is going to turn around and put down a $30 million a year contract for him soon, just simply because then they've got a, an actual like legitimate threat. In
1: it's not going to be the Dodgers. you will be the team further south from Los Angeles uh, on the sunny beaches of San Diego.
3: They already have enough invested in Manny Machado. Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be another one.
1: By the way, got- Matt, I want to get your thoughts, though, about, about Isaiah's utter, loon- lo- utter loony take of having Sean Murphy or Alec Bohm being better than Fernando Tatis Jr., I forget the years just in general about right here and right now at the All-Star Break. Not not two years down the road, not through right here and right now on July twelfth, twenty
3: twenty-one. Isaiah. What are you thinking? Like for real. Like I know you're in California
2: and it's legal there, but like are you high? No, I'm not high. I'm actually dead serious, dead serious when I said dead. that I will, take for, I will take Sean Murphy over Fernando Tatis when I'm looking at future projections. Give me three
1: years, Callum. Like I've been saying, give me three years. You we are not talking years. about two or three years right here and right now. July 12, I- 2021. Not next year. Not in 2023. Right freaking now. You want
3: to know what's funny, Isaiah? The fact that what, Tatis is three years younger? I Tatis is only twenty-two, right? Correct. Okay. Isn't Sean Murphy like I mean I think he's my age, twenty-four almost twenty-five? Correct me I think if I'm he's wrong. twenty-five or twenty-four. Okay, that, that alone, that that says something. Ad, advanced for age, right? Alec Bohm is twenty-five, I think, right?
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
3: Okay, so that's two things. I mean, age. Who's also an all-star, Tatis Jr. He's also just. I mean, I would take Tatis Jr. on defense over Alex Bohm any day. Um. I. I mean, you can't tell me though that like. Tatis Jr. at shortstop versus Alex Bohm at third base. No. If Tatis played third base, he would make Alex Bohm look silly. Also, I I just I don't Alex Bohm, Phillies, overrated again. I I just I love how you're a Phillies fan and an A's fan. And I can't wait to see the A's. Go to Vegas.
2: Well, about the, about the Vegas thing, I'm not going to actually talk about it because I don't want to get in trouble at work. But uh, the Phillies, let me say this. The Philadelphia Phillies, they are on a roll. They took
1: two out of three from Callum's Padres. They took three out of four from the Cubs. And Once they took... again, we don't deal with rain delays in Southern California, sir. But the Phillies were,
2: won seven out of ten going into the all-star break and they have one of the easiest schedules in all of baseball after the all-star break. And I know guys like Bo Brogdon, Bailey Falter, uh, Aaron Nola, they're on the COVID protocol right now. We don't know when they're going to come back, but I think that this team has enough talent and with how the division is shaping up with Acuna hurt for the Braves, uh, the Mets. I mean, they've had their injuries too. And Marlins, they've been a mess. Uh, The Nationals, we don't even know if Scherzer's going to be with the Nationals after the All-Star break. We'll see. Uh, I think Philadelphia takes that division. I mean, my stance has not been as strong as it's been right now.
3: You know, though, here's the thing about that. A lot of people talked about how the NL Central has for a long time been – Probably the worst division.
1: The NL East is now the worst division in baseball.
3: Yeah. The Nats, mm, brutal. Braves, underperforming. Injured, too. Yeah. Mets, uh, I I would take the Mets roster right now over the uh, Phillies. I think that, I mean, who knows about Syndergaard. He got shut down in June again, but... I mean, he's eligible to come back whenever he's ready. Uh, Stroman, I would take – let's put it this way. I would take DeGrom, Stroman, and I don't even know who they got behind them over the Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler right now. You, and, and you know
1: what's going to separate New York or separate the division winner from Philadelphia? The bullpen.
3: Yep, the Phillies. Bullpen, awful.
1: I do got to
2: give credit to their bullpen, though, because they did they did step up when they needed it the most yesterday in that bullpen game against the Red Sox. When somehow, some way, I still can't believe it to this very day, pulled it off against the Boston Red Sox yesterday at Fenway, just having a bullpen game. I, I still can't believe how like they won that game. Uh, but. Hey, Ranger Suarez, he looks good. He looks really good out there and he I think he could be the Phillies closer, the guy that could hold down the ninth. And if we get Kimbrel, watch out.
1: Yeah, Kimbrel's not going to Philadelphia. Isaiah, He's not going to open either.
3: I'm just going to tell you this. Your A's better pick it up. They cannot they will not make the playoffs if they do not win that AL West. There are going to be three teams that come out of the AL East. And if you just, say like, just like in the
1: national, and just like the national league, all three teams are going to come out of the NL West at this rate, too.
3: I, I mean, Isaiah, like you guys got to actually like pick it up, like the and the Astros aren't going away. I would take the Astros over the A's, a lot more experience.
1: And, and, and much like to Matt's point, though, as well, about three teams in the AL East, three teams probably in the National League West, San Diego, L.A., and San Francisco, all theoretically could make the uh, the postseason party in the National League. But uh, with that, guys, we'll move over now. We are, in fact, at the uh, basically at the halfway point, though. We've seen some teams already play 90-plus games, like the Padres, for example. Sammy, over to you first, man. Who was your biggest surprise in this 2021 season at the halfway point, buddy? Who you got?
0: Um... I would definitely say I think I'd say the Astros, not for the fact that I was expecting them to be horrible, but the fact that they were able to still be a high end team at this point, especially with, uh, you know, even though they were good last year, they're still, you know, one of the top teams now in the AL West. Uh, being able to continue to be competitive and one of the uh, contenders for a, a playoff spot.
1: So, uh, Matt, if you're still with us, buddy, um. Uh, Sam is going to be going with the Astros as his big as his biggest surprise for the first half. How about you?
3: Good or bad?
1: Uh, just a, a biggest surprise in general. Good, bad, ugly does not matter.
3: I mean, I, I okay, yeah, Astros AL for sure. Though I think it's hard for anyone to argue that the biggest surprise isn't the Giants.
1: Uh, I'll get more into my thoughts about that in a second. Uh, but Isaiah, how about you, though, man? Biggest surprise so far for this Major League season has been what?
2: Well, I got a couple, actually. Um, I'm not going to say what Sammy and Matt has already said, uh, but I'm going to go with, I think it's got to be how underperforming these St. Louis Cardinals are. You know, shout out to you, Will Poston. But the Cardinals are 44 and 46. Uh, coming into the season, a lot of people uh, including myself, picked them to win the NL Central. You know, especially after they got Nolan Arenado with Paul Goldschmidt and you know Tommy Edman and all the talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball. And then you have uh, the great pitching staff that they have in that bullpen as well. But the Cardinals are forty-four and forty-six. They are five. They are five and five in their last ten games. They have a minus forty run differential, and they are they have a losing record on the road and only a five or a plus or above 500, five games above 500 record at home. And I think that's one of the big surprises of the season. Um, I think you could also point to how bad the NL East is because I think I even said this on our MLB preview show that coming into the season that I thought that the NL East was going to be one of the best divisions in all of baseball, but it's turned into one of the worst divisions in all of baseball as you know, you have like, the Mets who are only seven games above five hundred and then the rest of the teams are either at five hundred or below five hundred. So uh that is w- another one of the big surprise and last but not least, I think, you know, another big not surprised but it's disappointment it's got to be the new york yankees you know with all that talent that they have and i know we've talked about them on numerous occasions here on wild sports talk but they have a lot of talent both on the pitching staff and in the lineup and for the new york yankees right now to be fourth place in the american league east at 46 and 43 and uh with a run differential of just plus one that is Very, very disappointing and something that I did not expect from this vaunted Yankees offense.
1: I'm on board with Matt. The biggest surprise has been San Francisco in a very rugged, you know, top three of the National League West. And especially that the Giants have entered the chat. As I said, though, a couple days ago, they've entered the chat for what was supposed to be this two team race between the Padres and the Dodgers. And the Padres have played great this season. They, you know, they eclipsed 50 of they eclipsed 50 wins for the break for the first time. Since the pennant winning season of 1998, the Dodgers are the Dodgers, of course, though, but the, the Giants, though, with so much veteran talent on that roster, and, you know, they go out and get Gosman and DeSclafani, Sclafani, Johnny Cueto in that rotation, and, you know, some of the age veterans like Crawford and Posey, Brandon Belt, and they've had their fair share of injuries and a lot of guys coming up from AAA Sacramento, and that Gabe Kapler for now, I know Isaiah was on to that point, though, a couple nights ago, has done a fairly good, if not a great job guiding this club to you know well over 50 wins though a first place standing right now that they have really I think have been the biggest surprise in the National League because of you know no one had picked San Francisco no one was really on board for any with anybody in the NL West other than San Diego or Los Angeles and and me personally I enjoy kind of having this three-team race because though Isaiah you know to his point about the NL East being one of the best divisions though but as we know though the NL East is probably one of the worst divisions right now at this rate, but that the NL West is shaping up to probably be the best division right now in baseball with, you know, three teams so close to each other. Yeah. The Padres are six games back. The Dodgers are pretty close, but they've all have won over 50 games though. And that that division is probably going to send those three teams to the postseason. One will win the division. And then the other two will be in the wild card games. So I would probably say that the giants uh, are my biggest surprise for the season. Sam over to you though, man, how about your biggest disappointments for the first half of the season? Who, uh, who are, uh, who are they? And why is that
0: definitely why Isaiah said it with the Yankees, because this is a team that we had as a world series contender going into the season. And right now they be, they're struggling to make the playoffs right now as we're looking at it. So uh, they're definitely my pick to be the biggest disappointment for that reason. Cause you cannot, you know, you have all the talent in the world and you know, you can't you can't muster up to even be a playoff contending team. I think this team we didn't even think about would be missing the playoffs. The next team would definitely be the Phillies, uh, with Andrew McCutcheon. So I feel like, you know, they just need to do a better job with him. And they're still in the chase, but I don't know.
1: All right. So uh Matt, we have Sam going with the Yankees. I mean, by probably one of the big, probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, disappointment in baseball. Plus, of course, with the Phillies also being somewhat of a uh, letdown for the first half. Uh, Matt, who are your biggest disappointments for the first half of the season?
3: Uh, I agree with the Yankees, but I'm also a Twins fan, which not going well for them either. Um, but the Yankees, one thing that to consider is is they don't have pitching really at least starting pitching and they're I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I think they've been pretty beat up and they're also playing in probably I would say the second hardest division in baseball this year I mean the Toronto Blue Jays are no joke neither are the uh, Rays. Hey, Isaiah, remember when I said that? Um, and then they're just – the Red Sox have picked it up. I mean, they drafted, what, fourth last, n- last night, I think? Correct. And uh, so it, Yankees definitely, but I think there's like – when you don't have pitching in a division like that, it's kind of hard to compete. And I think, though – and I mean being a twins fan, I know what offense relying on offense does. And it just it generally doesn't pan out well.
1: But and and, and Matt, I would agree with that point. Uh, being at the Padre game yesterday, you can't rely on your offense every time. You have to rely on those pitchers in the Padre. starter Sally have kind of been, you know, dropping like flies, Darvish, hurt, snell sick, uh, paddock in the bullpen yesterday, five you know, a five plus E R A. Joe Musgrove, former teammate, as I've already said several times. But Joe, since that no-hitter, a little bit up and down, though he's been still very reliable, though. But certainly he can't rely on the offense every time. So, Isaiah, how about over to you, though, man? Again, Matt, going with the Twins, the Yankees, being some of the biggest disappointments. How about you?
2: Well, I already laid out uh, my biggest disappointment in terms of a team um, when I was giving my take on, you know, the biggest surprises. So I'm gonna stay away from the team side. I'm gonna pick a player. Honestly, I think one of the biggest dis- or one of the biggest disappointing players of this season, in my opinion, it's got to be Matt Chapman because I thought that you know I was. When we did our MLB preview show and I I think Sammy, uh you, me, and Lowroll, we were doing that show, and I don't know I don't remember if I said this exactly, but I think that I said I, I think I might have picked Matt Chapman to win the M M or the American League MVP. And my prediction is not looking so hot right now as I think Chapman's batting like only two 20- oh To eight or 210, or something like that. uh, I certainly expected him to have a much better year and to have a much better, you know, slugging percentage and much higher home run total and much higher batting average than he's had right now. And, you know, I know the hip has affected him because he's coming back from a massive hip surgery. But still, you know, I expected him to be much better offensively and also defensively. He's had struggled as of late. So he's had committed a couple of errors. So uh, that's not really the norm that you see from Matt Chapman as he's one of the best uh, defensive third basements in all of baseball. So uh, I would say right now he's got to be like in terms of player wise, he's got to be, you know, my most disappointing uh, player or disappointment this
1: season. I wanted to throw one more surprise in for me, fellas. And I, I had to go with the Milwaukee Brewers, you know, a team who probably a lot of people looked upon last season. They kind of snuck into the playoffs last year, got swept by the Dodgers, but certainly, though, not really retooling a lot, though. But man, Woodruff, Burns, uh, Eric Lauer in that rotation, you know, they got a pretty, you know, Adrian Hauser. They got, you know, three or four very great, uh, very great pitchers. And of course, their lineup, though, I'm glad that Yelich is healthy. Lorenzo Kane, hopefully he's. You know, able to still do his part, though. But like Luis Urias, former Padre, doing well back there. But that they have a lot of those guys that just hits and hits and hits. And, man, they've been fun to watch. And they certainly have, you know, really, I think, passed a lot of those teams by, though, in the uh, National League Central Division. But for my biggest uh, biggest disappointments, though, the Yankees for sure are one. I mean, for a team, though, with that much talent, that much firepower. But, again, though, starting pitching has been eaten up this year. Can't really rely on Judge and Stan all the time again, because Stanton will eventually Sally go down with an injury, as will Judge. Though and he can't, like Matt said, though you can't rely on offense. You have to rely on pitch on your pitching staff. And that Chapman's been very, very up and down though in that closer spot. You know, Shane Green's kind of taking over the closer spot. He got beat up for that walk off homer on Sunday with the uh, by Altuve with the Astros. But I have one more though, guys. I think we all would agree though, the Atlanta Braves. You know, a team though, guys, who got to the CS last year. Blew a three-one lead though, but man, they've had absolutely no luck whatsoever with injuries. Again, Mike Soroka retars his Achilles. Of course, Acuna Jr. rips his ACL though, literally a day before he goes to the All-Star game. And that Atlanta has just been—I think that that Atlanta and the Yankees have been probably the two biggest teams though who have been bitten so damn hard by the injury bug all season. That certainly, I think, has been uh, a disappointment. I think, for at least for me though, I think that the only disappointment, uh, disappointment for the Padres has got to be Chris Paddock. You know, they've had a lot of trust in this young kid, though. He had a great 2019 season, though. But something, though, mentally has not clicked for him post-2020, though, where I think, though, that guys, you know, obviously when, you, when, you're, a, you know, when you're a newbie, though, they can, you know, bring you up. And there's no film on you, though. But as time goes on, though, and they get that. And sadly, though, he's, you know, I, I just sadly, you know, I feel so bad for the kid, though, man. He's been going out there and trying so damn hard, though. But, you know, he's been, you know, not immune that the home run ball. ERA is over five, though. And he's, like, been the only, like, problem for the Padres, in the rotational, but I did though thoroughly like the idea of, of trying to have him as a reliever last night, though. He gave up one home run though, two good things. So minus the home run though, he looked like he was very re- like a little bit more relaxed. I think coming in as a reliever, not as a starter in that game on Sunday, but certainly uh, not uh, the best right now, but it will in fact uh, be uh, okay uh, at this point in time. So we'll see how things do in fact go here at this rate. Uh, Matt, I believe you wanted to add a little bit uh, about a, a very, very, I think, terrible, not really terrible, I think, though, a very, uh, the latest, uh, the latest showing, though, of umpires making games about themselves, though, was certainly, I think, a play, though, Matt, that wasn't even the correct call in the first place, though, in, in, in regards to Christian Jelic uh, being called out on him, apparently trying to go to second base when he clearly did not go to second base, though, and certainly set off another from though, a player versus umpire. Matt, your thoughts on this story?
3: I'm an umpire, and although controversial, I think it was the right call. actually, it's a bold take, but uh, if you watch, he's running down first base, you gotta see a different view. You right. always gotta see from the first base side, you can see him. he's running down in fair foul territory, and he makes two steps and ends up stopping in fair territory. Now, if I'm the umpire in that case, he was, if you watch him, he's tracking Yelich the entire way. And, okay, you got the first base coach yelling, go to second, go to second. And then also the MLB has this rule where you have to return to the base immediately. It's a mess. It's ticky tack. Agreed. But I think that to say that this is egregious, I I mean, I get where the umpire was seeing, like, what he was. He, It's not one of those situations where he turned around, didn't see him turn. Like, you can see, I mean, granted, benefit of slow-mo in this situation is <laughs> huge, but uh, you can kind of see him. He takes two steps to the left, stops. I saw a little bit of a shoulder turn. Now, the wording and the rule, I think, is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's attempt.
1: Any attempt to go to the next base, yes.
3: Which, and, I mean, I learned in Little League that you always peel right if you're going to go. Correct. So the fact that that's – I'm not going to say that I agree with the ejection, but I I think that currently in the – America, I mean, worldwide, we're struggling finding umpires. Like, I know my umpire association back home is strapped as far as just trying to fill the younger kid games. And it's because, I mean, kids and parents are watching players react like that and they think it's okay. Right. And that's that's my whole issue with it is, is that it's... This, this isn't, I don't know. That's just me. What are your thoughts, Callan?
1: Uh, you know, I, for one, you know, always say this, you know, or not say this, you know, but obviously, you know, being an official in any sport, fellas, at any level, it's a thankless job because you, because you know, damn well, but someone is going to blame you for your, for someone, for somebody's team losing a game, you know? And I think I, and I kind of feel like it's a bit worse, I'd say, or bet, I think Matt at the little league level, where literally I have to, or I had to on Saturday, you know, you know, please repeat after me for the parents, you know, please, you know, you know, that they had to, you know, repeat, you know, a pledge after, you know, before the game began, uh, in regards to that one of the things though was I will respect the decisions of the umpires and these guys are volunteers doing all these little league games. And yes, the strike zones may not be the best or they're going to miss a call here and there, but you know, they're a human like us, but I do think though, Matt, I think those Sam more than anything else, those, and I think those Sam, is I, I kind of feel like, though, that, and again, I don't want to make excuses here, Sam, but I feel like, though, that during this that this particular baseball season, my man, I kind of feel like, though, that umpires, I think, have kind of stooped to a new low, though, to kind of make it like, hey, look at me. You know, I'm in charge of the game here. We know about Joe West. We know about C.B. Buckner. We know about Angel Hernandez. But, Sam, I mean, I, the, the last time I saw a guy get thrown up, though, was actually Joey Vada with the Reds when they played the Padres back in June. Where uh, Votto, you know, uh, it was a check swing. I thought he had swung. I really thought he thought he did it, and they, he and they called him out on a strikeout. And Votto and David Bell, they, they nearly tackled the home plate umpire because of the call. When it was the third base umpire making the call in the situation, and literally it was like a seven minute, you know, ordeal. You know, all the umpires had to come out and restrain Votto. I mean, he, I mean, he literally was trying to, you know, like bite the head off of the home plate umpire, which I believe was Chris Guccione that day. But Sam. Do you kind of believe though that maybe during the season that maybe that perhaps so that umpire and player interactions have perhaps gone to an all-time low? Maybe for how they have interacted with each other over the course of this season, my man.
0: I don't think it's as bad as it was uh, originally. Whenever um, you know, whenever official replay first came around uh, about a handful of years ago, and p- umpires were petty to you know overcall the plays. If they weren't uh, the incorrect, if they if they made the incorrect call on the field, they were more reliant on uh, you know changing the results of the uh, play. Uh, I think they've gotten better as far as that goes. As far as what you're saying, you know, it's debatable because every year I feel like that there's always petty umpires there, and there's always those umpires saying, "Hey, look at me." And you know, I feel like though throughout the years, uh, this season compared to past seasons, it's been better. Uh, especially how it was about a handful of years ago whenever they first uh, brought in uh, official replaying
1: uh Matt what do you think about this you know because because I again you know and, and I applaud you man for for being out there and, and and spending your Saturdays with the kids and trying to be you know and, and be an umpire and especially man in a very 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 uh thankless job again, as I said, though for any sporting official out there, you know, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, volleyball, you know, you're always going to be the scapegoat by one team who loses. But, um, uh, Matt, what do you probably think, though, in regards to player-umpire interactions? Maybe the season, perhaps kind of going to like a new, like all-time low in regards to you know guys getting very close to umps, you know, bumping into them, you know, uh, stuff like that, or, or maybe you know, what wh- do you think though is the state is the state right now between the players and the umpiring crews in your mind at this time?
3: It's not good. Um, I definitely think that... I, I don't want to blame... Because Angel Hernandez is horrendous normally. Um, but one thing that needs to stop is... It, don't get me wrong. There are some really bad ball strikes calls. But, like, for me, I... <laughs> Seeing a 97-mile-an-hour fastball from, I think it's like 60 feet, Mm -hmm. it's so, like, that's a split-second decision. And I feel like players need to, Mm -hmm. I I don't think the the understanding is, is there, really. And I think that the interactions this year has been, I think part of it is last year, they weren't even allowed. Like if an ump- right. or if a manager even left the dugout, they were rejected. I'm pretty sure. And I think that, I mean, you're seeing that even in like the stands, like people are just like super hyper irritable these days that it's just, it's, it's at a weird time and people are finally adjusting to things being open. And I feel like the, the fact that, players are playing in front of fans again. Right. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it's not good. But and I'm going to go off on a tangent, but it's related to this. Isaiah, you always mention about how bad some umpires are, right? I am anyone that says that they should go to a robotic strike zone does not know what they are getting themselves into. Cause I'll tell you this, there are so many more issues that will come up from that alone than what the problem will solve. Do you think pitchers will be happy when they aren't getting that extra like inch outside? Like that's going to just further run up pitch counts you're gonna see just as many errors like it'd probably be better just to keep the normal umpire, and you know it's there's still gonna be like debates on whether that was a ball or strike from players like that's never gonna stop i I mean that's my just current state of umpiring I just there's never been like as much doubt I feel in umpires these days or officials just in general i mean callan you even saw that in the nhl playoffs this year it's right just it's it's not good and it's not just baseball
1: yeah it's certainly not baseball you know we heard all the time in either the stanley cup playoffs or the nba playoffs where you know guys get fined for criticizing the officiating crews you know 10 15 25 dollars fines but i wanted to kind of draw a parallel though matt to, you, to the point that you brought up though as well though man was in regards to, you know, that maybe with fans coming back, though, that things have gotten a little bit out of control. Though Tommy Pham of the Padres has been very, very vocal about that, uh, voicing his displeasure for how he's been treated treated by Padre fans after games or even on the road because of him having his, you know, uh, you know having a uh, runner at a, a local strip club here in San Diego in the offseason and uh, stuff like that. and And he's been, you know, kind of ridiculed, you know, both, you know, about his gameplay, but also, you know, you know, the whole, you know, stuff going on with, you know, uh, slurs and stuff like that being hurled his way, you know, for many, many reasons by fans. And certainly that there's, you know, that line is being crossed, though. But I do agree, though, in regards to the whole point, though, uh, about, you know, that the uh, umpires are human, though. And certainly I, I don't want any robots uh, calling balls and strikes either at this point in time. But again, folks, uh, thanks again to Matt for uh, jumping on there with that. Uh, Sam, we weren't able to get your thoughts about the uh, about Game 3 for the NBA Finals on uh, Sunday night, though. But, uh, Sam, give us your thoughts more so, again, as the uh, the Bucs uh, win last night on Sunday. Uh 100 over the Suns to at least get one game back, though. Uh, overall thoughts on the game, man. Uh, what do you got for us? I thought,
0: you know, the Bucs needed a statement win, and that's exactly what they got. And I think right now, uh, based off what I've seen in Game 3, uh, Phoenix is in serious trouble uh not because they lost game three because you know a good news for Phoenix is that game three will start or game four will start off with zero zero at the scoreboard. doesn't matter how many uh, points you lose by but if the bucks can come back and win game four by 2015 points again you gotta think they're all of the a sudden starting to be pressured now bucks they won by uh, points spread thirty five plus thirty five points at home. And they're going back into Phoenix. They're going to have all the momentum going back into Phoenix. Uh, they have to. I think Phoenix, what they have to do is at least make this next game competitive. If they're going to lose this game, they need to be within five points. Uh, that's how I see it. And, you know, what we saw from Milwaukee uh, in game three is that that team got hot. Uh, we saw Chris Middleton wake up and Giannis played like he has been all series. So it, you know, it was a perfect mixture of a lot of things coming together from Milwaukee last night, Game Three.
1: I definitely agree. I think, you know, like I said though, on Sunday on the night shift though, was that you know a team really can't keep you know that pace scoring, and uh, certainly I'm with Sam though. I want I want a more competitive game though. I don't want any more blowouts as Isaiah and I as Isaiah and I alluded, alluded to on Sunday. Uh, guys, we had one quick comment coming though about uh, Matt's argument about against robot baseball umpires. Trevor has a great point though, guys. Trevor says the goal line technology in FIFA does help to see if if there was a goal or not. But you do have a fair point, uh, Mr. Soltis, about a robot judging balls and strikes. Uh, I definitely agree, though, about the argument, though, that there is goal line technology where I think they have like a sensor basically where if the ball infiltrates a beam that is on the goal line, it's like an infrared beam to, you know, keep certain stores, you know, uh, safe from burglars that once the ball passes that, you know, breaks that that infrared beam there's like a strobe light that goes up and say, hey, it was a goal that went in the net, but certainly that we don't need robots coming in. Uh, but Isaiah, uh, I want to kind of, re- you know, re- rewind a little bit back to uh, Matt's point, though, about um, the yellow ejection, though, uh, the yellow ejection, though, from the weekend. Uh, Isaiah, where do you stand? Because we know, again, that you have obviously bat- blasted, blasted a couple of umpires, though, but I think probably for, you know, legitimate reason, though, but at the same time, though, Isaiah, do you believe, though, that maybe that player slash coach or manager, and umpire interactions maybe are heading towards an all-time low this season because of how we have seen plenty of guys getting tossed and some of those arguments going on for way too long.
2: Well, I think it's been like that for like the last, you know, 3 years. You know, it's been at a all-time low, I feel like because, you know, and I even though I always blast the umpires, you know, it's not always the umpire's fault. Um I think
1: yeah, it's not corruption for your team losing a game when they don't play their best, sir. <laughs> The yeah.
2: Uh, but it's, I feel like, you know, it's both the players and the umpire's fault because there's sometimes where, when like a pitch is like right down the middle and the umpire calls it a strike, and then you have a player flipping out because he doesn't think it's a strike. It's like, dude, it's like it was right down the middle. Go back and watch the television. You will clearly see that it was right down the middle. I don't know why you're flipping out over, you know, nothing. So that's, that's, an, that's one of the problems that I have. But another issue that I have is like sometimes like you say, Hey, Callan, you know, there's umpires that just want to make the games all about themselves. And I've seen this on many occasions where uh, when I'm working for the A's, you know, you have a guy that, you know, makes really bad calls. Like he, there, there was a I think there was a sh- call that he or a strike that he called like a that was a foot outside. He called it a strike. And obviously, Bob Melvin got, you know, really upset and rightfully so, and he tossed Bob Melvin out and he tossed like a couple of other ace players out because they were mad. Like, obviously I would get, I get why, you know, the ace players were mad because, you know, who knows, um, maybe uh, if you don't call that a strike, it's a ball. And then the next pitch, maybe the guy gets a hit or he hits a home run or something like that. But to not even give the guy a chance, I just think it's utterly ridiculous. And I just think it's like that, you know, it's the, like the ejections that bother me are the ones where it's like, obvious like the umpire made a mistake and it's terrible and you still somehow some way eject the guy or like or another case is when you know players are trying to talk to the umps and just have a professional conversation about the entire situation and it's not heated and you don't and they still get tossed yeah, yeah, you, they still get tossed. Like, I remember Bryce Harper got tossed um, after a play at first base. And I believe, like, he was just saying to the umpire, can you talk to me about that situation? And the umpire was like, no, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. And he tossed Bryce Harper, and Bryce was just like, be a professional and all that stuff. So uh, those are like the stuff that really just eat at me because it just shows me that some of the umpires just want to act like dictators when it's their way
1: or you're out of the game. Uh, their way of the highway. Uh, Matt Saltus is back writing in that Isaiah is a umpire's worst nightmare. And don't forget that your boy Bryce Harper is known for tweaking at umpires as well. Uh, I, he's got you know much like Machado, Harper has a reputation with either certain players around the league or, or certain umpires as well. I definitely think that is a fair observation. Uh, with that, guys, we'll now go back though to the uh, NBA uh, segment here. Though we wanted to get that, wanted to get that comment from Trevor Williams. Uh, fellas game four coming up on Wednesday, uh, Bucks and sons again from Pfizer the in the four, one, four of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, Sam, basic question here. Does Devin Booker and the sons bounce back and go up three, one or do the bucks defend home court again and tie this series up and, uh, send us back to Phoenix tied two games apiece. What do you think? I think we're going to see a lot more of what
0: we saw in game three where, you know, we're going to see Chris Middleton, Giannis show, and we're going to see these role players like PJ Tucker, Bobby Porter step up in Game 4 as well. And I think that we're going to see more of what we saw uh, Game 3 uh, with the Bucs dominating the uh, Phoenix Suns.
1: So, Isaiah, Sam will roll with uh, us getting a tie series. Uh, what say you? Um,
2: I think, Callan, Sam, that it's going to be – we're going to get one of our first competitive games that is going to go right down to the wire um, in this NBA Finals. And I, I, I think – you know, it's really tough to pick because he's like down to the wire games. You know, it's a coin flip, but I'm going to go pick Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. I think they're the more talented squad. Um, I think that, you know, Milwaukee, they're obviously going to be energized with that loud crowd there at the uh, at the Pfizer Forum. So they're going to get off to a quick start. They're going to get off to a really hot start. But I think Phoenix now knows that, you know, they can't have one of these you know, throwaway games like they did last night, or else it's going to be a 2-2 tie in this series. So I think that Phoenix will come ready to play. I don't think they were ready to play last night. I think they'll come ready to play. And, you know, I think Devin Booker will bounce back because I I don't expect Devin Booker to have another one of those cold shooting nights where he was super inefficient and he only had 10 points. I don't expect that from him. I think he's going to be much, much better than he was last night. I think that Chris Paul and the Suns ball movement would be much, much better. And also defensively, they will be much better as well. But I think this game will go down to the wire. And I think that um, give me Phoenix by two. I think it's going to be a really close game.
1: I'm going with a competitive game. Maybe, uh, you know, I kind of want to see triple digits again because they've been scoring triple digits in all three games. But I like Milwaukee and they're at home. And so far, all three uh, all three games have been won at home, though. But certainly with Milwaukee, again, with them being super energized. And again, this being their second finals home game since 1974. And again, that crowd last night really helped out. But I think, though, if Devin Booker is guarding Giannis, this game is over, like what happened last night, though, with uh, with that Think though, and certainly I think though of the Suns. I agree though that they've been punched in the mouth. How do they bounce back though? But I think though, again, like I've said though, guys, a lot of times though about the Suns though, young team, one guy who's been in the postseason in Chris Paul though. How do these guys kind of oh, battle that adversity, especially on the road? I, I like Milwaukee. but I think that this is going to be a game won by at least five points. You know, I, I really want a game. It's going to be you know, bet- you know, not a ten-point blowout, not a twenty-point blowout. Give us something that's going to come down to you know the final two minutes of the ball game. And we'll see how things go. I do think though that if the Bucks do in fact start hot and stay hot, you know we're going to have a tie series. But selfishly, I want more basketball. Simple as that. Uh, plenty of thoughts though as well. Real quick, Matt Soltis writes in to say again that you cannot debate a judgment calls. It is in the rule book. And Nate says he's got Phoenix in five. Um, I'm going to go still stay with it, but it, uh, the but the uh, tagline is still Bucks and six uh, for me at this rate. Uh, with that, guys, over to a developing situation in uh, in regards to the free agent market and also the trade market for the NBA, as we are of course, folks, roughly two weeks away from the NBA draft coming up on July 29th uh, on ESPN. But right now, guys, the Cleveland Cavaliers have announced their plans to perhaps reportedly make very available Colin Sexton in trade talks, and also Cleveland is reportedly looking to include Kevin Love in any package involving Sexton or Sexton to simply shed his contract at this rate. Isaiah, very interesting development here, though, as uh, apparently the Lakers, I believe Miami, and I think Denver, I want to say, was in the mix uh, for it. I saw the thing, but I really didn't uh, take a good look at it, though. But Isaiah, uh, Cleveland, obviously, right now, man, I think if they do this move, though, man, this could set this franchise back for a few years at this rate, though. Isaiah, overall thoughts, and give us the full story and breakdown of the uh, potential uh, moving here of uh, Colin Sexton perhaps being dealt out of Cleveland.
2: Well, we've talked about it, you know, uh, I believe a couple of weeks ago on Wild Sports Talk when this, fir- this story first broke that Colin Sexton, the Cavs, were shopping him. You know, John had his passionate, like, 30-minute rant, and I had my rant, too, about how Cleveland would be so stupid to trade him because they're already a bad team, and you're going to deal away your best player on your team who's only 22 years of age, and he's only making, I believe, like eight to $10 million right now because he's on the rookie contract. So... Um, um, you know, we talked about this like two weeks ago, and the story has just gotten more and more real as time has gone by. As you know, Colin Sexton at that time, we thought that it was just the Cavs, like they were just shopping him, trying to see what the price tag was maybe for him and maybe what they could get back. But now, Apparently they have made him very available. Like you see in those reports, Callan in trade talks. And I think that, um, I read somewhere that Colin Sexton, the only way that he shows up in training camp for the Cleveland Cavaliers is if the Cavs do not find an acceptable offer for him. Um, I also read in the report that there's like a 75 to 80% chance that he's going to be dealt. So I think he's definitely going to be dealt. I think it's a foregone conclusion that Colin Sexton will wind up somewhere else. Um, not named Cleveland this offseason. Um, I don't know why the Cavs are doing it. I think it's a very stupid move. Um, I like I guess they're they're trying because they have Jared Allen, who I think is a restricted free agent, or he's some type of free agent, and they have Colin Sexton, who has one year left on his rookie contract. And I guess they don't want to pay two of their those young pieces you know massive amount of money but I think that's you know really stupid because I think that you know if you want to build a team if you want to build a team that's competing for the playoffs let's let's not say championship contention because you know we don't know how it's gonna go but if you want to build a team that is contending for the playoffs year in and year out you, you want to build a winner you have to start paying guys you know you have to start paying these young guys and I think that if you pay Jared Allen, if you pay Colin Sexton, these are the two guys that can be the pillars of your team. You look at the Phoenix Suns. Why are they in the NBA Finals? Why do they have success? It's because they didn't give up on these young pieces and they decided to pay them their massive amount of money they wanted and invest in them before, like when they reached restricted free agency and they invested in them and it paid off. And now they're in the NBA finals. I'm not saying that Colin Sexton can lead you to the NBA finals, but I think that he can be a top player on a contending team. And I think it would be a massive mistake for Cleveland if they do in fact, give up on him because this guy, he, I think he only he's averaged like twenty plus points a game. Uh, he was shooting the ball much better from three. He was driving the ball into the paint and you know laying it in. He's got a great mid range game. This guy's a great offensive force, and he hasn't even scratched the surface of his potential yet. So that's what's even scary for me about the situation. I think Cleveland is making a massive mistake, and you know, like you said, um, or like you read, Callen in the reports. I think the Lakers, they definitely need a pounce. I said that back two weeks ago when we first talked about this, that the Lakers needed to pounce on this situation because I know that you know the Lakers right now, LeBron, they have um A D as well. But a lot of the other guys are free agents. Dennis Schroeder, he's a free agent, and I think he would be a better – or Colin Sexton would be a better fit than Dennis Schroeder. And he also he's younger as well, and he's cheaper than what Dennis Schroeder wants on the free agent market. So if you give up like a couple first-round picks to get Colin Sexton, um, I think Cleveland's also adamant that you have to get Kevin Love as well, which is smart because you can – Get rid of Kevin Love's contract because nobody's taking Kevin Love's contract alone. Uh, but I don't know how the Lakers would be able to fit in Kevin Love because I know that contract is massive. But if they can just get Colin Sexton and part ways with maybe Kuzma and you know a couple f- first round picks, I do it because I think right now Colin Sexton would help you win now, and also with him and AD uh, for the future, it would set you up nicely for the future as well.
1: Sam, I'm going to read off the last 5 years for the Cleveland Cavaliers record-wise. 2016-2017, 51 and 31, lost in the finals that year to Golden State 4 games to 1. 17-18, 50 and 32, swept in the NBA finals. But of course though once LeBron leaves, as we know I think with uh, with Miami and even with uh, the Cavs and then with the Lakers if he was ever to leave. 18-19, 19 and 63, did not qualify. The pandemic shortened 19-20 and 20 season. 19-46 and 46 did not qualify. And this season, 22-50 and 50 did not qualify again. And Sam, I don't get franchises like the Cavs who, you know, are at the top of the mountain for a couple of years, don't win the damn thing, but then choose to deal away all their players. Because, you know, I know that LeBron leaves and he leaves a bunch of, you know, terrible contracts. But the Cavaliers, to me, have had no sense of direction Pre LeBron leaving the first time and pre LeBron leaving the second time though, and I just don't get the front office mindset about because now we're going to go back to being the way you know you know you're going back to old habits, going back to the ways of you know you know drafting young kids and you know not and not and not giving them time to develop. They're, you know you're going to have years where you have players like Sexton or like you know like that that coveted first round pick. They won't win right away. You know I I know that 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 this is not you know, the way to do things in regards to, you know. But I think, though, that especially I think now in the NBA, though, you have to be able to let these kids play and let them take it on the chin, though. I mean, you know, like 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 Isaiah said, though, about the Suns, though, I think two years ago, they were at the bottom of the Western Conference. They were in last place, I think, two seasons ago. Then last year, they had the bubble run. They were so close yet so far. But yet here they are, though, in the finals, because like Isaiah alluded to, though, they didn't sell the farm. They didn't, you know, trade Booker away or trade away, you know, Aiton or trade away these, you know, high quality young kids though. And they let them, you know, go through those woes of, you know, the 15 win seasons and, you know, the, you know, the ups and downs of, of winning and losing. But Sam, certainly, again, the Cavs, I, I don't know the sense of direction. Is there even a pulse right now in that front office? I don't even know at this rate. Right. I do think though, Sam, at this deal though, I, I thought about this, man. This could be something. That breaks on draft night when we're sitting here, you know, you know, in our in our bedrooms, in our in our in our in and in our living rooms, and watching the draft live on air like we did last year. That this may be a thing that comes to fruition on draft night. Hopefully, while, hopefully, we're on air leaning up to the draft though for that draft extravaganza. But Sam, uh, your thoughts, man, about this move again is uh, mentioned right now. The Cavs are very actively, uh, uh, perhaps, shopping Colin Sexton. Uh, Colin Sexton. And saying he's reportedly very available in any draft offers at this rate, what do you got?
0: Well, I want to make sure I address everything. Uh, I remember all last five years very detailedly, I was there at the 19th win against Milwaukee. Uh, whenever Giannis was hurt, uh, you know, I was I seen it. Uh, whenever I remember when Colin Dra- uh, Sexton first got drafted, it was 2018 draft. Cavs had the Brooklyn pick. That's how they even got up there. Uh, Cavaliers previously traded away the farm. Okay, uh, you talking about the farm. I mean, it's the next year's first-round pick. Uh, you're talking about 2025 first-round pick. I mean, they, they traded every draft pick that they possibly could to build the team in 2018, 2017, um, or in 2016, uh, 2017 team with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love. And LeBron James, Jr. Smith and company. They tried. They built. They did everything they could. Kyle Korver off the bench. They did everything they could. Uh, and then that team blew up. Um, LeBron left. They I think Colin Sexton was almost the last ditch effort to replace Kyrie Irving, and give LeBron a reason to come back. Because if LeBron would have came back to that team, it would have been the same team over again with Colin Sexton at point guard. It it really would have been. Uh, and then when you know LeBron didn't come back, they forced fed it to Colin Sexton. And a lot of the veteran players, including Tyron Liu, was not very happy about that. He got Tyron Liu fired within ten games. He was 0-8. And, and then J.R. Smith basically sat out the rest of the season. He didn't like uh, playing with Colin Sexton. He was very frustrated with losing. Uh, a lot of the veterans were. So, you know, they had to blow at that point they had to blow up the roster. Uh, J.R. Smith was also on a bad contract. George Hill was on a bad contract and Tristan Thompson was also. Those three were on horrible contracts up until last year. Um, and then, you know, we got John Beeline, which was probably the worst thing that happened in Cleveland history.
1: And he got fired as well.
0: Yes, because and here's what he tried to do. He wanted to make the Portland Trailblazers of the East. All right. And whenever they drafted Darius Garland, that was almost the final days of Colin Sexton, because here's why. You have two point guards, one who's a very often he's a very uh, slasher type point guard in Colin Sexton. He's a slasher and he's not that good on defense. And then you have Darius Garland, who's undersized, not that good on defense, and he's a traditional point, more of a traditional point guard, pass-first type of point guard. So now you have two, you know, point guards who cannot play defense uh, in a point guard-driven league. So one of them has to go. And Colin Sexton, I feel like, you know, he's had his flashes um, throughout his years, and he's, you know, he's had chances to develop. uh, But he just hasn't broke out. Now, to compare this to Phoenix, uh, if you guys remember, Devin Booker is probably the only player from that 2017-2018 team that he was on that when he scored 70 points. Uh, He he dropped 70 points and showed the league that he's a scorer uh, first player. And if you look at the team now, you have DeAndre Ayton, who they drafted, um, Cameron Johnson, who they drafted this year, and the rest of the players are players like CP3. CP3. Jay Crowder, both players are both quality role players. Or CP3 wasn't a role player, but he was a star. Uh, Jay Crowder was a quality role player. Cameron Payne, he was a good role player for a uh, contending Thunder team. You look at the roster; it's not the roster that they drafted and developed. It's a team that they built around with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, two different players. And then you know you look at Colin Sexton's situation. Now he's going to have to, He's going to ask for a lot of money in two years. Because we obviously see how good of a point guard he is. Cleveland is not in the case to pay any player big time money right now. Because you look at the roster, they really don't have anything going for them right now. Uh, they had like five, six centers at one point this year. Uh, you know, they have this roster has been in shambles. All I feel like all ever since John Beeline came into the uh, as head coach. He's not he's not hundred percent default, but he's partially at fault because he, this is the type of idea he had. Uh, you know, Andre Drummond was a great trade because they gave up that Brandon Knight contract that was horrible and, for Andre Drummond. And, you know, they got gave away to Andre Drummond for nothing, basically. But, you know, they're trying to trade away Colin Sexton and Kevin Love together. I like that personally because that gives them roster space. And it obviously shows that they're going to be targeting a guard this year in the draft, one of the uh, top guards from the G League. I can't think of his name. Uh, I think his name not Jalen Suggs. I can't think of his name right now.
2: Jalen Green.
0: Jalen Green. Yeah, that's who they're obviously going to go for to play the actual two position. And he showed this year in the G League that he could ball out. So I'm more I'm confident in him if he becomes the Cavalier. I think that's the way the Cavaliers want to go, uh, rather than a Cade Cunningham in the first overall. I think if the Pistons do give up the first overall pick and they get Cade Cunningham, they'll be just as zappy as they were. If they're uh, as drafting Jalen Green, but I, I don't see him uh, losing out. And as far as Isaiah him going to the Lakers, I, I feel like LeBron James is more of a future option than Anthony Davis at this point because how how pro uh, how injury prone Anthony Davis has become. So I you know in it being called, uh, the Colin Sexton Show, and I think it's going to go just as bad as it was whenever it was the um, the, the D'Angelo Russell uh Lakers whenever they, you know, were out of uh they, they didn't know what they were doing on offense.
1: Yeah, again, folks, we'll see what happens. But once more everybody, the Cavaliers uh have uh said that reportedly Colin Sexton is very available in trade talks and Cleveland is reportedly always looking to include Kevin Love in any package deal involving Sexton to shed his contract. Again, uh perhaps that could be a, a bit of an issue perhaps to see how things go. Uh, James Gonzalez uh, tuning in, joining us. He says, uh, what has Sexton done to want to trade anyway? Ha ha ha. Christy Wilson chimes in to say that the Cavs just sadly have no identity. And also Christy says that the Cavs front office is full of nothing but idiots. And also James, can't wait for the draft show. Again, folks will have more details about that later on in our final thoughts segment here of the program coming up here very, very shortly. With that, Isaiah and Sam, in wake of the ongoing somewhat of the cloud hanging over the Blazers organization, in wake of the perhaps now controversial hiring of head coach Chauncey Billups, there are now talks, fellas, that the Warriors have talked internally about perhaps trading for Damian Lillard, if, in fact, he becomes available from Portland again, that very, right now, uh, not really sensitive, but very, very interesting situation brewing up in Rose City. Uh, Isaiah, if you are Goldman State, do you part ways with Clay Thompson, to acquire Dame Dalla from Portland. What do you got? Callan, um,
2: would you do me a favor and search up for me? How old is Clay Thompson and how old is Damian Lillard? Because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Clay Thompson's like 32, 33, and or and uh Damian Lillard's like in his mid or his in his um uh, late twenties about to approach his early thirties. But I think I might be wrong on that. But okay,
3: in uh,
1: of... real quick, Clay Thompson is thirty-one. So Klay Thompson is thirty-one, and uh William how about Damian Lillard. Lillard?
2: Lillard is thirty. You know, I would make that trade just because, and I think you know a lot of my Bay Area friends are going to be pissed off at me because they like Klay Thompson, they like him a part of the Splash Bros with him and Steph Curry. But the reason why I would make that trade is first of all, Damian Lillard, he's younger, he's more explosive of, of a basketball player than Klay Thompson is. I know Klay Thompson gives you uh, the defense, and also he's a guy that can move without the ball and he can shoot the three extremely well. But you got to take into consideration the fact that Clay Thompson is 31 and he's coming off a torn ACL and a torn Achilles. So I don't know if he, how he's going to be coming off those two massive injuries. I know people are going to be like, Oh, but Isaiah, Kevin Durant came off a torn Achilles and he was, he was fine. And he looked really good. and he looked like the same player that he was before the injury. Well, let me tell you this, Kevin Durant. Yes, he came off a torn Achilles, but did he tear his ACL before that? No, he didn't. So, I don't know how Klay Thompson will be post that injury. He's had like a couple or he's had, you know, two major injuries now with the ACL and the Achilles. I just don't know how he's going to be like, that's why I'm willing to part with Klay Thompson is because of the question marks surrounding how he's going to be, you know, post the two major injuries that he suffered. And I think that, you know, Lillard's just, the better player than Klay Thompson is. But Talon, I would be very interested to see how it would work with Steph Curry and Damian Lillard both sharing the same backcourt since they both need the ball in their hands. Because if you trade Klay Thompson, you bring in Lillard, Lillard I think would have the ball in his hand for the most part running the offense. So are you going to make Stephen Curry a guy that is going to be the shooting guard and play off the ball? Is that how is that how you're going to do it? I think that might prolong his career, but I don't know how that fit would work. So it it would be a
1: very interesting situation to monitor. Sam, I don't see this going down. I think that the Warriors don't want to break up with what's already good, though. Again, that chemistry between Clay and Curry... But also, Portland would say no because you're you're literally going to treat us damaged goods and a guy who's been hurt. Thanks, but no thanks. Try again later. You know, phone's disconnected. I don't see this going through one bit. I know that Dame's from Oakland. He's from the Bay Area and stuff like that. But I don't see this move going on. I know that Dame's disgruntled right now because of the hiring of Chauncey Billups. We had some stuff developed, though, from Crispy Haynes of Yahoo Sports where Dame is basically trying to force his way out, much like Harden did with Houston. But, Sam, I don't see this move going through, though, for – those reasons though that the warriors don't want to part, part part ways with that chemistry of thompson and curry nor do i think portland wants to receive damaged goods in return though but sam your thoughts on this as the warriors have in fact talked internally about perhaps dealing away clay thompson to portland for damian lillard
0: i think at one side of it uh, on the warrior side of the benefit they like you said Callum they they have good chemistry uh you know this is in Klay Thompson even though he does have those injuries and i know that you're you know you brought up how people talked about KD one thing i wasn't concerned about KD and the, this is why i said whenever people were asking about it i said he is one of the best shooters in basketball history okay Klay Thompson's just as good as KD is as far as pure shooting goes that guy you know i feel like even without his mobility He's still one of the best three corner three, the, one of the best top of the key three point guys in the league. The, that guy could still get you thirty points, uh, you know, with barely moving. I, I think there was one time he scored forty points and had like less than ten dribbles in uh, a ball game. Okay, so you know his scoring ability is through the charts. The only question is, and you know, Isaiah, you made the case for Portland not to trade for him, if anything. Uh, you know, the only question is, is how well he's going to be mobile, his mobility and how well is he going to play defense? Because, you know, whenever the Warriors were the Splash Bros and were in their middle of the dynasty, you know, Steph Curry would not be guarding the top guard. The top guard would go to clay. Uh, lower guard would go to Curry. And, you know, it, you wouldn't get that dynamic because Damian Lillard is not a defensive point guard like that. You know, he's not one of those lockdown point guards. Uh, you know, it's not one of the top 10 all NBA, all defensive NBA, you know, type players, so you definitely be losing that, and that's something that is uh irreplaceable almost because not a lot of play, not a lot of players in the league are all defense and are an elite level defenders like you know, Paul George, like Clay Thompson. Uh, and the one thing that would um the Trailblazers will be looking at too is that they already got a small guard. Uh, That likes to play off the ball and CJ McCollum. I I don't think CJ McCollum would make a great point guard uh, in that system with Clay Thompson. So that's another thing you'd have to look at uh, when you compare the uh, Warriors and the Trailblazers in that situation.
1: We have interrupted Wild Sports Talk, folks, from this developing story in the NBA. Isaiah Leung has the scoop. Isaiah, what do you got for us, buddy? What's going on?
2: Yeah, Khaled. according to Adrian Wojnarowski, he just tweeted this, that uh, Suns assistant and former NBA player Willie Green um, is a strong frontrunner for the New Orleans Pelicans head coaching job, and he could accept the job in a couple of days.
1: So again, folks, Willie Green, the uh, one of the Suns' assistant coaches, perhaps uh, on his way to New Orleans to uh, take over for Stan Van Gundy with the Pelicans. Uh, again, we'll keep an eye on that story as in fact time moves on. But again, that developing story. What's more, folks, Willie Green, the Suns' assistant, perhaps on his way to taking the head coaching job as a strong front runner per Woj for the uh, coaching vacancy of the New Orleans Pelicans. With that, guys, one quick NFL story. I am going to uh, rip Isaiah's head off and the show is over for this uh, story because it involves another NFL team who I happen to root for, perhaps moving out of their home city with the Chicago Bears looking at moving out of Soldier Field after who knows how long playing at Soldier Field on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, plenty of reports, though, folks, have circulated around the web, though, that the Bears are looking elsewhere, I believe, in Arlington Heights for a potential site of a new uh, stadium to play uh, play in, as in fact, they're playing at one of the oldest or the oldest stadium in the NFL. You know, and Isaiah, this is probably the one thing, though, that the NFL has probably done, probably one of the worst jobs, I think, at doing so, is trying to keep teams in their markets. I know, of course, it's happened with the Raiders going from Oakland to LA, then back to Vegas, the Rams going from LA to St. Louis and back, but Charters starting in LA, coming to San Diego, then leaving and going to Los Angeles again, Though, but certainly, Isaiah, if the NFL allows the original founding member, the Chicago Bears, the former Decatur Staley's way back in the 20s, to leave the city of Chicago and go somewhere else in the suburbs, there's a problem, my man, if in fact that you have the original franchise of the NFL leaving their home city for another for another spot, man. This could be very, very ugly, and who knows, man, how in fact the fans may, may in fact react in Chicago. Of all places in the NFL, man, you know, a sacred Hollowed NFL city, but Isaiah, your, uh, rep- uh, your thoughts on the reports again of the bears of all the teams to look at other places to play minus soldier field in Chicago. What do you got?
2: Well, Callan, um, I will just say this first of all, that, uh, don't worry about it, dude. The bears aren't going to move like the chargers are not moving out of state. I think from the report that I've read and gathered that they are just looking for, or looking at other places, either in Chicago or in the state of Illinois to play their games in. Because Soldier Field, I think it's been there for, what, 40, 50 years? It's a really old... Longer than
1: that, my man. It's the oldest stadium in the entire league.
2: Yeah, it is the oldest stadium in the league, and it's undergone like undergone a lot of renovations throughout the years. So uh, I think the time, unfortunately, even though Soldier Field is a sacred stadium in the NFL, um, it's a legendary stadium in the NFL. It just might be time for so it might be Soldier Field's time, unfortunately, to be up as an NFL stadium. And I I won't blame them because you look at all these like. Stadiums that are popping up, whether it's you know Levi's or whether it's the shiny Rams Stadium or you know the Falcons Stadium that they built like a couple years ago, the Vikings' new stadium. I think the Bears are just looking at all these other teams and just saying, like, man, these guys got some shiny billion-dollar playpens that we that like they get to play in, and we are stuck playing in Soldier Field. Who, like, I've been to Soldier Field. It's not that bad. It's it looks like you know a something from like old like the old Rome days uh, on the outside. I've never been inside, but from the outside, it looks like something from old Rome. But I just think that, you know, if you're the Bears, I think it's time you look at, you know, some potential sites for a new stadium because that place has been there for like 50, 60 plus years. And I just think like, you know, unfortunately, I view it like Fenway or Wrigley, like, cause it's like a really, old but legendary stadium but there's just comes a time where you gotta move into a new place because the the facilities that what what it once was supposed to be it's just not what it is now
1: uh just to clarify isaiah's point about soldier field it opened up folks in 1924 the oldest team in the nfl and i believe it i believe that 24 was also the year that the famed giant dipper roller coaster here in san diego at belmont park the all wood one opened up as well here uh sam you know, there's two stadiums in the NFL that should not be touched at all. Soldier Field and, of course, Lambeau. Those are like the two most famed stadiums in all of the NFL. And, and you know, they've gone under renovation, yes, but but there's history. And I don't think, though, Sally, Sally Christie, to your point, though, she asked why not tear it down and build a new one. Uh, Soldier Field is a, uh, America, or a U.S. history national landmark, I believe, and also a city landmark, so they really can't touch it. Uh, same thing with Seattle with them redoing uh key arena with a storm used to play their, uh, their basketball games. They were not allowed to tear down the facility. They could only renovate the interior and and things like that. But Sam, you know, I don't hear green Bay complaining about a new stadium. Why all of a sudden, why all of a sudden is Chicago complaining about a new stadium? Again, these are two legendary franchises. My man playing in two legendary stadiums. I don't see the gripe with the bears. I mean, I get it, but those are the two stadiums that, that in my mind are untouchable for those teams to move out of in my mind. But Sam, your thoughts about the Bears perhaps shopping or looking around at maybe another spot to build a brand-new plush estate for the oldest team in the NFL in the Chicago Bears. What do you got?
0: I think uh, Green Bay will be fine because, you know, it's the only stadium owned by the city, and it's the only team owned by uh, about half the city of uh, half the state of Wisconsin. So, you know, it, it, Green Bay is just a whole different breed as far as uh, NFL organization but as far as the Bears, uh, I, I hope they at least stay there for four more years, or uh, three more years. That way, they can see their hundredth anniversary at Soldier Field. Agreed. But uh, if they if they can't make it, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what you do because uh, that, like you said, that is such an iconic stadium, and every it's one of those stadiums that people put on their bucket list. It, it are giant NFL fans that they want to go to at least one time to go and see a game there. Uh, I don't know what uh, Chicago would do uh, with that stadium. Uh, I think the Big Ten Championship is supposed to be actually uh, hosted there starting in, co- in a couple
1: Wisconsin supposed to play Notre Dame there this year, too, in September.
0: Yeah, so, you know, it's it's still going to be a used stadium. I don't know if um, what they would do if they played some home games there. If they were to open up a stadium at Arlington Heights – uh, or if they would just cease to uh, own that stadium in general because uh, property taxes out in Illinois that's uh, it's ridiculous out there but it, it, I don't I don't know what they would do about that it's, and especially you know opening up a city uh, stadium out in the suburbs uh, north uh, from the city uh, I, I, maybe it's just for a safer you know safer area for the uh, fans but I don't know uh, as far as that goes why they would do that, because where they're at in Chicago, it's a pretty, as far, relative to other areas in Chicago, it's a pretty safe area.
1: I mean, and and, and for someone who has, who, who had family and had ancestors go to Chicago, you know, great-grandparents living there who were Bears fans and Cubs fans, you know, they went and saw the Bears play there, you know, at Soldier Field way back when, so, I mean, for me, it's like a piece of family history would be dying if, in fact, the Bears left Soldier Field and went elsewhere. But certainly, guys, plenty of commentary, though, on this subject real quick. Hang tight, Isaiah. Uh, First, I wanted to get to some of these, though, real quick, though, that came in about Lillard and the potential Warriors and Blazers uh, trade, perhaps. James agrees with me and Sam, though. He says, I would not touch Clay. Sorry to say, has not been on the floor since 2019. Um, Also, uh, James, about the potential hiring of the new coach with the Pelicans. He says, let's be real, though, fellas. It does not matter whom the head coach is in New Orleans. All of our star players are wanting to be dealt or traded sometime soon. About this subject, James says, wait a minute. They just renovated Soldier Field back in 2004. What gives? I remember it because the very first Madden game I played in 2003 – the Bears were playing at Memorial Stadium, the proud home of the Fighting Illini at the University of Illinois. Christy Wilson also says the Bears have been playing at Soldier Field for what feels like forever. They just did renovate it back in 2004. was the last big, uh, the last major renovation that I can recall. And again, Christy, your point though, why can't they just tear it down and build the new one? I believe because they have deemed it a landmark, so they really cannot again touch the building. Much like what we had, uh, what I just said though about uh, Key Arena now. Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, again, where the Sonics used to play, where the Kraken are going to play for hockey, where the Storm had played. They, they were not allowed to tear down the building because it was deemed a city and state landmark in Seattle. Mess Around Dave, as far as it says, it's time to upgrade and build a new stadium somewhere else. James also agrees, uh, got to be honest, the Bears-Brass just wants to get out of the city and go to the suburbs to be safe. From the uh, scorn of the fan base And Mess Around Dave also says, the Bears are still on lease, though, until at least Twenty thirty three. So there's a long way still to go, though, before that lease does in fact run out. At this time, Isaiah, back over to you, man. Uh, man, What do you got for us?
2: Well, I wanted to talk about, you know, the Bears maybe going to Arlington Heights um, and playing or and building a stadium there. I think that would be a really bad idea because I think that, like Sammy said, I think what you need to do is keep the stadium or keep if it's a new stadium or an old stadium, keep it in downtown Chicago. And I think that what the Bears should do, and this might be a very controversial idea is I really think that they should build, if they're going to build a new stadium, I think that they should build one on the like shores of Lake Michigan. I think that would be a perfect place for a stadium to be. Um, you know, there's, I've when I went to Chicago, you know, there was a lot of, you know, land area, not, not like the beach, but a lot of land area uh, next to the, the shore of Lake Michigan. And I think that that would be a perfect place. I mean, just look at the San Francisco Giants. I know like they're playing major league baseball, but still they have a waterfront ballpark. It looks so pretty, so beautiful. And a lot of people want to go there. Plus it's going to be in downtown as well. So if you're going to build a new stadium, I would not suggest the bears to build that stadium in the suburbs. I would suggest them to build it like out or by Lake Michigan, because I think that would be a much better idea and it's in the city instead of in the suburbs.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I really don't see the bears leaving. I mean, I know that they've discussed it, but certainly, you know, there's history with the bears at soldier field. That seems been around since 1924, you know, FDR spoke there. Amelia Earhart spoke there. JFK spoke there, uh, you know, f- major football games, the world cup being there for the first time ever, I believe in 94, uh, back in June of 94, you know, the Bears playing there and they're running the Super Bowl in 85 and stuff like that. So certainly, you know, a lot of history there at um, uh, at Soldier Field. Uh, Christy Wilson says, a uh, stadium on the shores of Lake Michigan, something like a good idea to me. Well, they're technically already playing on the water anyway. They literally play on Lakeshore Drive at the harbor right now in Soldier Field. So really, it's not that much of a change anyway, if you ask me. And James says that the White Sox, should go to the suburbs as well and get out and get out of the South Side. We'll see what they do, but again, they are in fact at you know, New Comiskey Park, a.k.a. Guaranteed Rate Field uh, at this point in time, but again, the Bears uh, somehow perhaps looking at a brand new stadium perhaps in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, but again, with uh, around, Dave saying that at least, though, is still in operation until at least 2033. With that, folks, and I'll move on and segue over into our final thoughts. The Cows are coming home, folks, on this Monday night. A great show with Sam and Isaiah and our good man Matt Soltis popping in tonight. Isaiah, first to you, man, for your final thoughts for tonight's program. What do you got?
2: Well, before I get into my final thoughts, Callan, I want to take the time to thank uh, Christy Wilson, um, James Gonzalez, uh, my guy Mess Around Dave. Uh, Dave, sorry about, you know, I believe you're a Cubs fan. I might be wrong on that, but uh, sorry about, you know, that 15-game losing streak that you, you got had there. Uh, Please trade Craig Kimbrough to my A's. Maybe you can add in a Chris Bryant there and we would be good to go, but uh, thanks for tuning in, my man. Um, I think also we had... Nathaniel as well, my guy Nate, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Matt Soltis, thanks so much as well. And also Trevor Williams uh, from behind the scenes at the MI6 Sports Network. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You know We really appreciate all the love and the support that you guys give us every single day and every single program that we have here on the network. But, Callan, my final thoughts is I want to talk about this that we did not – put on the script tonight and that is Dana White decided uh, after the McGregor Poirier fight uh, that McGregor is going to fight Poirier again. In I believe in two years, once McGregor gets healthy from his nasty ankle injury, and I just think that that's a terrible idea. I know it's going to be a big money fight, but come on, man. Who wants to see this fight again? Like, really? I mean, Poirier has beaten McGregor's ass the last couple of times. We know what's going to happen. McGregor will only be two years older when this fight does, in fact, take place. It's going to be another ass-beating, and I'm here for it because I am not a big Conor McGregor. Gregor fan.
1: With that, Sam, over to you, buddy. Final thoughts for the night's program. What do you got for us, man?
0: Uh, I'm pretty disappointed in Team USA today, uh, losing by five, I do believe, against Australia. And I'm more disappointed in myself. Than what? Than, uh, uh, Australia tonight. Uh, I, uh, I knew I should have put down the money as soon as I saw the uh, point spread.
1: And, and with that, everyone has mentioned uh, Team USA right now, pff, yikes. They're in some serious trouble right now with uh, losses to Nigeria and losses to Australia with this pre-Olympic event right now going on in Vegas. But with that, folks, uh, plenty of great commentary is coming your way, though, folks. Uh, starting this upcoming Friday, folks, Chris Fedora from Cleveland.com joins the program Friday at 5 o'clock Pacific time, talking all things surrounding the Cleveland Cavaliers. Hopefully we'll have some more inside information uh, revolving around that potential trade uh, with Colin Sixton perhaps being on his way out of Cleveland. Again, as I said, maybe it's a draft day uh, move. that's perhaps made. We'll see how things go though, but also folks, as we uh, tease though, but we are in fact though, bringing back the NBA draft extravaganza. Once again, folks on July 29th, getting underway at about 4:45 in the evening, but also as Isaiah and I talked about on Sunday, the one year anniversary of the, of wild sports talk live on air after the draft show. Coming your way, folks, um, on July 29th. Again, that start time is up in the air right now. But again, we'll have plenty more thoughts about that as time does, in fact, move on. But with that, though, folks, for Isaiah Young and Sammy Sharp, and for the entire cast and crew here of the MI6 Sports Network, yours truly, Cal McClurg, saying goodnight here from San Diego. Folks, have a great rest of your night. Take care. Stay safe and stay healthy. And we'll see you folks back here with more coverage. A doubleheader programming on Tuesday with 6 for 6 at 3.45 p.m. and the Sports Lounge back underway at right about 10 o'clock after the All-Star game does in fact conclude for Major League Baseball folks. Till next time, have a good one and good night. Bye-bye.